With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. It's Thursday night, and that just means it's time for another episode of Live from the Cheap Seats. I'm your host, Matt Whitener, here on the National Gridiron Network. Thanks for anybody that's downloading the show. It's going to be a chance to go through this with us tonight. Um, as always, once again, you can follow me on Twitter for updates from this and where you can catch the show at and any previous episodes that you may have missed, at the Cheap Seat Fan. Once again, that is at Cheap Seat Fan on Twitter. Find my work at the Sports Fan Journal, at I-70 Baseball, and every once in a while back at the old mothership, cheapseatsplease.wordpress.com. Um, tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about football. We're going to actually make this be, for me at least, and for a lot of people that are listening as well, a little bit of a local theme show in general here. Um, I'm, one thing we're not going to do is talk about football inflation levels. That's of absolutely no uh, consequence to me in my life. If you want to learn as much as you can about that, <laughs> apparently you can turn on the nightly news, as in NBC nightly news, and Brian Williams will tell you all you need to hear about that. Not my lane, not going into it, but what is in my lane and what is a hot topic for a lot of people is the future of professional football in the city of St. Louis. And um, our guest that I'll have tonight is, an impassioned member of that. If you followed me at the Sports Fan Journal, you've seen me write about a little bit about his background um, following the club, and um, and you know just get an uh, honest take on it. I think that one thing for certain we'll get is an honest take on where it comes from, um, and you know it, it's on it's on everybody's mind at the forefront here. Tis, I'll let him give his credentials, but the gentleman with us tonight making a return, I think for the first time since. Opening week, I think of the uh, opening night actually for the NFL back a few months, few months back. We've got Jack Walker here with us. Jack, what's going on, man? Hey, man, how are you? I'm good, man. You sound like you're like 400 feet away. It sound like I'm 400 feet away. Yeah, like really bad echo and scratch and all sorts of stuff. What if we go? That's yeah, better. So yeah, what's up, man? Well, you know me, the. Uh... St. Louis Rams season ticket holder sitting here. You're talking about the, you know, the the issue of the day, right? The, the team. issue of the it seems like it tends to be the issue of the year or the bye year. It's been creeping up to this point for a little while, and now it's got to a point where even um, me on Sunday, people are asking the owner of the Cardinals about it. In a media session I was in on Sunday for the Cardinals launch event, you know, everybody's got an opinion about this, you know, I'll even Bill DeWitt. Owner of the Cardinals says, "Hey, uh, you know, I think pro football, pro football is necessary in St. Louis." What's his exact words were, "What's good for St. Louis is good for the Cardinals, and pro football is good for St. Louis," which I found to be a very interesting take on it. So, and you, I know that yours is going to be straight to the point, man. How, how do you feel about the place of where the St. Louis Rams are at right now, as far as the limbo that kind of is awaits for them? You know, I. Honestly, I don't really feel like there is limbo. I, I think I think Stan wants to move, and 
I really don't see a way that the NFL is going to, you know, stand in the way of that. I mean, we're sure what he's doing seems to be in clear violation of the relocation rules. But, I mean, the NFL has already proven that they will rewrite the bylaws of the organization for Stan Kroenke. So why, you know, when he still technically is the owner of the Avalanche and um, Nuggets out in Denver, um, as if you know that is a violation of cross-ownership rules, and he's on the Ram now for four years. He was supposed to have that straightened up last year. And still to this point, he's under an extension from the NFL continuing to let him break the rules for the fourth year in a row. So if he really wants to move to L.A., I don't see them stopping him. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and obviously, you know, the technical transferring of ownership to his son, Josh, allowed him to pull off pull off that maneuver and then be able to still own the team in another city directly as, uh, as he does here. Um, you know, take him for what it's worth. You know, the guy's the second richest guy in the NFL. Um, you know I mean, but that's the Money thing, Matt. He he hasn't changed the ownership yet. He made Josh the president of the teams, and he's like, "Yeah, we're going to deal with that at some point." But you know, just last year, the NFL gave him an, an extension. You know, he's working under a. We understand you're going to take care of that right now. And well, well, yeah. I mean, I think that more or less what I mean is that he offers up that promise to do it. And what leads into what leads into that comment is that you know it leads into the same thing with the promise of when he purchased the team here in St. Louis was to what <clears throat> not move it. Now you know just taking the majority leadership. Now just a few years later, you know it's almost like he's been tapping his foot for the last four years, and now they're you know in a way in many people's mind dead man walking here going into this year. Um, following that team, following that team, and seeing where that's at, where does that set? you know, the tone, number one, the temperature for you with the team going into this year, and then kind of about the city as well, too. Well, sure. I mean, with me as the team, you know, I know that the the big splash was when he announced building the stadium in L.A., but me personally, I had already decided by that point that I was no longer going to renew my season tickets just due to the fact that we hadn't heard anything. So I'm getting frustrated at the point of, you know, you, you know, you stand, you bought the land in LA that's long been rumored a stadium site. It seems to make sense. And at first, you know, I told myself that thing all St. Louisans want to think. Stan's a real estate developer. He buys huge tracts of land everywhere. There's no big deal here. You know, and I let myself believe that for a couple months or so, but then longer and longer, the, the more he he was silent, you know, a silent stand, you know, you start to think about it. And then Kevin Demoff, up until about nine to 12 months ago, every time he was on the radio, would say, we are dedicated to making it work in St. Louis. No matter what they were talking about, when they would bring up the stadium, he had a unified answer that was the same all the way through the negotiations, all the way up until in that nine to 12 month ballpark ago, he would say, you know, we're the St. Louis Rams. We're dedicated to this, you know, look at all the stuff we do in the community with, you know, citing the Habitat for Humanity stuff, the the playground builds. And he would give you all these examples about how they were for St. Louis. And then the tone changed to something along the lines of, 
a, a really clever no comment, basically, to sum it all the way down. And then I was like, okay, something's up. Well, I mean, when you look at that now, though, I mean, how does that set looking at how do you judge, how do you base a, a fanhood, I would say, knowing that it's on borrowed time? You know, I have run the roller coaster of emotions since the announcement of the L.A. Stadium. Um, you know, when you interviewed me for Sports Fan Journal, we talked. you asked me the question, would I ever give up my fandom? And I believe my answer was some, something along the lines of, as long as they're here, no. The day of the uh, stadium proposal in L.A., I came home from work, took all my Ram stuff, put it in a box, and put it in the basement. <laughs> and said, you know what, we're going to think about this for a while. So, I mean, now, are you separated right now? Are you separated? I am separated. I mean, I'm in this weird place You're still living in the right same now. house. You know, you're still sharing the same roof. So, I mean, are you still together? Right now you're in that weird, awkward place where you're together, but you're not sure that you want to be. Well, you don't sleep together anymore. You're just, you're just spending time, you know, we're trying room, to avoid each other. We're roommates. Gotcha. You know, like for me, I, I – you know, since all of this has happened post, you know, after the season, it's like, well, all season I just kind of operated under the, I don't believe, so, you know, I don't believe that you're telling anywhere near the truth and something's up, but I knew all along that the Missouri had finally come, you know, with Governor Nixon had finally come and was going to propose some kind of stadium. And, uh, so I, I had a lot of uh, faith in that basket, but I find the timing of Cronkey's um, press conference announcing the LA Stadium to be pretty convenient, since it was just a few days before the St. Louis Stadium was presented. Well, and you know, and there's the conversation that says that you know he's not talking to the he's not talking to the city. You know, nobody knows what's going on. Nobody's got that. I, I find that to be hard to believe. These are too many connected people, too many things that are going on. I don't think he's giving the answer that anybody wants to hear. So, I mean, they're just not publicizing what's going out. I, I think I think they are working with Kevin Dimoff. If you notice, they say they, they've talked to the Rams, but specifically they say they haven't talked to Stan Kroenke. Well, that has been pretty much how Stan has run the team in all forms of business since he took over the team. Kevin, you take care of it. I'll show up when I want to. Get me some money. <laughs> that, yeah, I mean, that, he, may, he definitely manages a detached. He's not, you know, he's not the guy you're going to see out there shaking hands with the people. You know, he's not going to be the guy that you see out there, you know, telling people, hey, you know. Yeah, I'm behind the ramp. You know, it's just not there. That's not there. I'm I'm not 100% aware of who the Blues owner is, but I do know that it's fairly easy easy to access the DeWitt in St. Louis. Well, you know, sure. it's not very it's not very hard to 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 run into them or to ask them about how the team's going. But I think that that is the difference between having local and management from afar. You know, there's no connection to Stan Kroenke with the city of St. Louis at all. I mean, he lives in Columbia. But that doesn't mean anything. You know, there's no no connection here. And if you look at any team that's got that real strong base, it, it, it roots into the fact that 
the people from the top down quite often are invested in that area as well, too. And that's not fair. And I think that that's helped to serve some of the facts of why the Rams are so alienated in a way from the city of St. Louis. Well, sure. Until Kroenke took over, I mean, John Shaw ran the team from L.A. So, right. the, the, you know, Georgia Frontieri was the owner, but she she was, you know, John Shaw took care of everything. He did the owner's job as far as running the team, you know. So, and he never moved his office from L.A. He stayed in L.A. until the time he was no longer the president of the Rams. So they've always had a we're not really here ownership. And I think that has definitely affected the long-term um, relationship with the city. The, I don't think unless you're young, when they were when the Rams were good from 99 to 2002-ish, if you were young then, then you probably have a really good relationship with the Rams when they were good. Um, or if you're like a diehard football fan and you accepted them when they first came over. The team, the city as a whole, has never really adopted the team. I don't. They did from 99 till 2002, 2003, because, I mean, that was one of the greatest offenses in NFL history. You would, if you're a sports fan, you're going to go watch that. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, it's just it, that connection hasn't happened. And for me, one of my questions has been, you know, as 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 a observer of the situation is, what does the team do? We, we've seen, I mean, the city, I should say, do. In the past, you know, you've seen team, cities that have went into that last year with their, that club, you know, not knowing. I think the Cleveland example is the one that is the most stunning to me where they, you know, except for a really small group of people, they abandoned that place. You know, if you look around other sports when teams are on the way out, people weren't showing up. Is that what's going to happen at the Dome this year? I mean, are people going to be engaged with free agency? Are they going to be engaged? with the draft, are they going to hold on to that feeling to the end? Or they show up and try to, you know, salvage it by by representing there and showing the NFL at least that, you know, St. Louis wants football? Or will they just, you know, pull their support? And will they just stay away in general just due to the fact of the anger of the looming situation? I, you know, it's hard to say, you know, I think there's it's going to be a ghost town next year that when uh, Pittsburgh and Chicago come to town, it's going to be an away game for the Rams. Because sometimes lately it's borderline that as it is already. That being said, you know, if St. Louis really wanted to prove to the NFL that we wanted a team, they should go. They should go to the games. If, if there's a a good attendance next year at the Rams game with everything that's going on with them not having a winning season since 2003 with um, them while there's more talent on the roster, having a worse record this year, no real answer at quarterback. And there doesn't really seem to be any good options out there to significantly improve it. So all of the football stuff related, plus all the LA stuff related I would hate to have to be a marketing person for the St. Louis Rams next year. I don't know how you get people to go. <laughs> Unless well, you appeal to their, hey, prove the NFL wrong. 
that would be an interesting marketing plan, to say the least. You know, hey, what's the slogan for the year? You know, let let's show them what we got or something sort of like that. That would be wow. That would be a ooh, a stand I mean, I think on that. They kind of already gave away the slogan for the year at the press conference. Hashtag STLNFL. Well, I mean, see, I don't the, think, you know, I don't think that that's the Rams, though. No, you that's know? not the Rams. That's I mean, the Rams. I, I don't. I, I'm just saying. Think about how how the has the slogan for the year is going to come from the club's marketing department, though. Th- there's no way that they can say. We're standing staunchly behind St. Louis as a ploy to get people out there. And no, no, not them, but like, because they're not going to, no, the Rams are not going to be able to convince people to come. I'm it talking be, about what do the Rams marketing say to the people to sell tickets? That's what I'm saying. That's that's where the slogan for the year comes you know what from, they, from their they, marketing what they say? department. Anybody want a free ticket? <laughs> they have been giving those away for years, hell. Feels like it. At least. I, I got I got my renewal email from Kevin Dimoff yesterday. It was hard not to laugh out loud. Did you send anything back? No. I you know I'm not. I don't envy his position necessarily. He's not the one who calls the shots ultimately. And when my you know eventually this will get to a point where a salesperson will call, and I'm going to be cordial, but I'm going to be firm and say, look. Unless you're about ready to offer me two for one or something like that, I don't want to give my money to that man right now. So, so that's that. I have decided that I'm going to try to go to games. I, you know, unless something major changes between now and then, but I don't plan on buying them directly from the Rams. While I realize if I buy them secondhand, the Rams still got money in some way, shape, or form. They don't directly get my money. Once it hits the second-hand market, I mean, they've already gotten their money. Somebody bought it at that point. Yep. And so while I realize that my my thinking is a little flawed in that, you know, I don't want to direct – I don't want to give him any money, so it's okay if I don't give him money directly. (laughs) You can't buy anything at the game, though. I won't. You can't buy anything at the game. You can't buy anything outside of it either. You got to just go in with what's there. Mm-hmm. Because it all reaches him some way or another. So what? What does St. Louis need to effectively do? Let's say, let's just propose hypothetically here that St. Louis gets on one page, which is probably the funniest thing I've said ever, and oh, yeah. and and has and goes on strike against the Rams. What is the way that you organize the people in order to do so? Do you go out, do you stand outside the stadium and, you know, goad them and not go in? Do you just basically act like they're not there? I mean, how do you do it? I mean, what do you do? Do you go and, you know, crowd around at the Rams facilities and, you know, make it a make it a hostile thing? Do you go to the games and just, you know, cheer for the other team? What do you do? Yeah, we could do. <laughs> how cool would it be if, that huge for people in St. Louis, they know people outside of St. Louis don't know. At Ballpark Village in St. Louis, both inside and out, there are two humongous TVs. How cool would it be if more people showed up there, gave their money to the Cardinals, watched home opener or any game, any home? That'd game. be 
<laughs> that would be fantastic. That would be perfect. That's a movement that I think is worth getting behind. Support them. Support the Cardinals, <laughs> who has who have loved who have loved St. Louis and given back to it, and give the finger to the to the step to the step parents here that are leaving. Right, because we're <laughs> only a baseball town, right? That's I'm all we care well about be. here. There's 25%, right? 25%, 25% of us are hockey guys, but, you know, it's just, it's just that. I mean, you know, I don't well, know. Well, you know, the the thing for me that is kind of funny, and I'm I'm not going to take any credit for this. This is this is 100% Bernie Mikulitz, and I will give him credit for this. Um, he ran numbers on it because he, he got the, the St. Louis is only a baseball town thing drives me nuts. Because I'm an avid football fan first, I live here, and I know there are other people like me. So Bernie is the same way. So he went and researched attendance numbers. And I'm not going to get as dorky as he did, but the, in, in L.A., in 1984-85, whatever year it was that Eric Dickerson ran for 2,000-plus yards and broke the NFL record, the Rams mm-hmm. were 10-6, and six, and they went to the playoffs and they averaged 54,000 and change per game. The 2014 St. Louis Rams were 6 and 10. They were have not been to the playoffs since 2006, I believe, haven't had a winning record since 2003, averaged 57,000 and change in attendance per game. Um, you know what? I find that number very hard to believe. Very, very hard to believe. Well, I'm sure that's in tickets sold. It's whatever yes. the Rams reported. Because <laughs> now, because but it's now, the same number that would have been reported. I mean, it's the same skewed number that would have been reported for the LA. I think. I think that in 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 over the years that the actually the reporting on numbers that changed from turnstiles to tickets sold. I don't think that they counted it that that far back, honestly. This is no, there's no way. I mean, I went to all but two of their home games this year, and there's no way there were fifty-seven thousand people in that place. Like none. They're counting the number that got the game on TV, because the only time you ever see an NFL issue. With with there being any type of reporting numbers when they got a blackout, the Rams didn't blackout this year. No, they didn't. I just don't. I don't think. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I get the lot. I don't know. Going That's why that. I'm saying it's it's his numbers. I'm not taking credit for it. But if they are true, pretty interesting. Attendance was. And let's 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 take it one step further. Attendance was up this year. As somebody who's been to every game for the last three years, and even by the end of the year, attendance was up. When they had already been eliminated from the playoffs, the Giants game was one of the more heavily attended games in years. And that was the last home game, and they were five and something at the time. Well, I will tell you this, and I will tell you this from an opposite, from an opposite perspective on that is that, as a guy who's not behind the team in any other capacity other than following them for, you know, for 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 professional purposes, is that I go to Rams games because they're so cheap. Why not? Exactly. You know, it, it's 
it's it's they're so the tickets. I don't I don't know who these people are that buy these tickets firsthand. I I thank them for doing it because it's well, the you're gateway. talking to one of them, and well, I, you know, you, I realize you keep, you keep yours though. The tickets. I mean, you know, there's an obscene amount of tickets available in the secondhand market for Rams games. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. And you know, and one thing is, do I talk to fans from other teams? They say it's the easiest game to get to. You know, it doesn't cost a bunch of money to fly in the same. There's always tickets available, and you can get mm-hmm. them for under under 60% face value mm-hmm. on the secondhand market. I mean, it's insane. You know, Hotel I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it's like the perfect visitor's market to come to. So I, I don't know. It's, it's very interesting, the culture that the Rams have taken on here. I mean, you know, I think that the most per ticket, the most expensive ticket in town is the St. Louis Blues by the, you know, by the, the, the margin Ooh. of it. And then there's, there's certain games for the Cardinals that are expensive, but on the second-hand market, you can get into the Cardinals game pretty cheap most of the time. So, Especially if it's a weeknight during the school year. Yeah, but, it's a weeknight. if it's a weeknight during the school year, you can get into that place pretty cheap. I mean, the only time you're going to run a price is, is, is a really high price is a, certain interleague games and then, you know, Cubs games. Those are going to yep. cost you no matter when you want to go. But, you very know, it's kind of, getting, kind of getting away from the point between the two of them. But, um it, it's very interesting to see that. Let's. I want to do this for a second, though, for the sake of entertainment. Let's talk football. I mean, it's still a team. It's still a sport. If they're gone. They'll still be a part of the NFL. And the Rams are a team that is at an awkward. Um, it's at a very awkward point because it's a team that's better than its record, and it has been that for two years. But I don't know if it's being snake bit, whether it's being bullheaded in decision making. The corner isn't turned. It, is that? Is there the chance that on their way out the door here that they turn the corner and turn it right out the door? Yeah, I mean, I I firmly believe that they're going to get better and eventually turn the corner. They have way too much young talent on this team to continually be sub-500. I'm not sure that they're going to win the Super Bowl anytime soon, but, I mean, when you have two years in a row that you lose your starting quarterback and you still are in the neighborhood of 500, not this year, but last year they were 7-9. and nine. One more win gets them, you know, 500, and they didn't have Sam for more than half the year. And all of Fisher's eggs are in the Sam Bradford basket, and I believe they will continue to be. Well, I mean, to a certain extent, isn't that the most logical path for them to take right now, though, considering all the things that would put them in place to get a quarterback otherwise? Um, it is the safest play probably this offseason. The, the free agent um, quarterback class is terrible, and after Jameis Winston in the uh, draft class, I'm not sure what there is. I know everybody loves Mariota, but um, I think his best chance to succeed is uh, if somehow Chip Kelly were able to draft him. Well, it doesn't seem to me that the that the um, that the Rams will be in range to even land him, though. I mean, him or Winston. I just don't see how they can get in, in. They can get in the ballpark to grab either one of those. They guys. they would have to trade up, but they're the only two ones that are out there that I think would provide legitimate 
competition for Sam Bradford. They, I mean, it, they're the only answers in the draft as far as a potential starting quarterback. I haven't looked further into the next tier of guys. I usually, at this point in the year, you know me, I usually have started looking at all the college players because as a Rams fan, we usually have a high draft pick. And to me, sometimes the draft is better than the season because the draft is when there's hope and excitement and all that kind of fun stuff and the season comes losing. And this is what you think about when you've had a losing football team for 11 years. Um, But... If they want to, I just haven't gotten there yet this year because I'm having a hard time being motivated because of the other things. The, the only other guy out there that I would think would have that type of, that could have that potential type of I'll show you impact would be Brett Hundley from UCLA. He's in a little early, a little erratic, um, great accuracy guy, but doesn't know if it's all there quite yet. He might take some incubation time. I mean, he would certainly be there, but I don't think that the draft is a method that the Rams solve their quarterback situation at. So, I mean, let's look at Sam Bradford, though. How bad could it be in comparison to the guys that have played the last 20, 25 games or so at quarterback for the Rams? The the only problem I have with Sam Bradford is is that you might not have him next week. So you have to have somebody who is ready to go if he gets hurt. We have two seasons in a row where he tore the same ACL, and now, you know, He's made like 50% of the possible starts that he could have made in the NFL. So when well, Sam Bradford and the same goes, the same goes back to his college numbers as well, too. I mean, yeah. he's followed the path that has been put out for him as a college player into the league. So when he's healthy, he's really good. We, I don't think we really have an idea of how good he can be because he hasn't had a supporting cast at all in his career. I mean, he won the NFL Rookie of the Year with Mark Clayton one foot in the retirement door as his top receiver. So that's the best that he's had probably since he started. And then this year is the year that the receivers get better and he gets hurt in the preseason. So I don't know that we know how good he could be. We know about what he is which I would say is an average starting quarterback in the NFL. Is the fact that we're having the same conversation right now that happened at this point last year, I mean, does that give any type of to the situation? Well, I mean, but this year it's the talk about returning from injury again as well, too, you know. Yeah. Um, I I mean, and, and, and that is, that is a rough place to be. I mean, honestly, in some regards, the team has been pretty snake-bitten by that. But at the same time, is what's out there, I guess it's a simple question, is what's out there indicative to saying Bradford is the best option to start the season next year? Well, sure. Unless somehow Jameis Winston falls in your lap. Which I don't see there's any way that that happens because I'm pretty sure he goes number one. I don't see a way that he doesn't go number one unless for some reason everybody is really scared about his off-the-field stuff. But this is a quarterback-driven league, and he is the only thing that's close to a franchise quarterback in this draft. There could be guys that could develop into those. but I think Winston, been... Yeah, I think Winston is a guy that joins that two-win team in Tampa and gets them close to 500 on his own. 
So I, so I definitely throwing to Mike there. Evans and Vincent Jackson, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're they're very he's yeah, he's yeah, immediately makes that team much better. So and, I mean, and they had offensive said, coordinator problems last year too. Yeah, oh yeah, really weird. That Tedford situation is about as weird as anything I could recall getting. Um, so yeah, I mean that's the case with the Rams. It's still purgatory. I mean, look at the line of questions we're talking about. It's the only team in the NFL that I say has the same set of questions coming into 2015 that it had in 2014. It's it's crazy. I mean, and this is all before free agency and that and whatnot. And I mind you, but I mean, heading into this point in the year last year. There's the only question that has been answered is that there's a lot of young talent that's actually proven itself now on that defense. But other sure. than that, there's nothing. <laughs> there's nothing. That offense, the offense has been – the transmission blew out on the offense three years ago, and they're still driving the car. Well, you know, I was excited when Brian Schottenheimer took the uh, offensive coordinator job in Georgia because I thought – Maybe somebody will get a little creativity. But then, now as uh, you and I have joked, the Rams are like the ugly girl in the corner at the dance. Nobody wants to come here and coach. No, no. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, there's nobody that wants it. It's it's like you could be an NFL offensive coordinator, and it's like, yeah, yeah. With what? I don't but, know. Yeah. I mean, what do I do it with? It's going to make me look bad doing that because it's going to make me look incompetent due to the fact that the talent that I'm charged with isn't on, isn't on point. And you know what? To a certain extent, I completely understand that approach. Well, yeah, we made Josh McDaniels look bad. R- right. <laughs> this is true. This but is I true. Mean, all that aside, you know, you – you know, do I believe Fisher's on the hot seat? Not yet, but if they're don't have a winning record next year, I would think he would then be on the hot seat. So you have that question. You know, when you're a coach looking at potential places to go, so there's coach questions. There's where the heck are they actually going to play questions. St. Louis as a whole hasn't exactly gotten the best publicity nation international worldwide in the last year or so i mean when you start thinking about taking a job somewhere a little bit of an uphill battle this year for the same Louis Rams. yeah I, I, that's that's um yeah i mean that, that's and that's where they're at i mean that's where they're regularly at i mean and you look at it it's it's a case where it's not bad enough to say give it all up but it sure isn't good enough that we're headed in the right direction um, speaking of heading in the right direction, uh, NFL coaching carousel, it's gone all over the place. It's um you know, it's 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 definitely an interesting um it's definitely an interesting scene every year about how that works out. Any any surprises for you amongst that group of guys and how they ended up and how it all got arranged? So far at least. I mean, I guess the two surprises for me and one of them was a surprise to a lesser extent. The first one was John Fox was the um, being let go from the Denver Broncos that, you know, and, and the other one is Jim Harbaugh and from the 49ers. And they're both almost exactly parallel incidents. One was a total surprise. Nobody had no idea until the day of their first playoff game, that John Fox and John Elway were not seeing eye to eye. 
Yet all year long, all we heard about from San Francisco was about how dysfunctional it was there. So when he let he was let go, it it really wasn't a surprise. But rarely, you know, do really really good football coaches get shown the door. <laughs> you know, everybody gets shown the door, but you know, when you secure a, a first round buy in a home playoff game, getting fired is kind of rough. Almost right yeah, I mean, to Marty Schottenheimer, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, and this is a guy that, you know, less than 12 months removed from the Super Bowl. You know, I mean, what more do you really want for him other than to say that, you know, this is absolutely, it's absolutely a personal thing between him and Elway. I mean, there's no other way that it, there's no other way that that boils down. Um, I think that there's a lot of dominoes that could fall into place from that. And I mean, and even still to this point, the, um, the situation with the Denver Broncos is weird. And just that's the only word I can use to characterize it is it's weird. Because, I mean, what happens now? I mean, you know, obviously they've got Demarius Thomas up in the air and Julius Thomas up in the air. I would have to think that those things would have to impact the outcome with um, with, with with Peyton Manning as well too, correct? Well, I was going to say, the mo- most important thing that's up in the air is Peyton Manning. Because all of a sudden, if Peyton Manning isn't on your team, now you need a quarterback, unless you really believe that Osweiler is the answer, which, you know. He's not bad. Good but for I mean, you. If you don't have anything, <laughs> it's just like, you know, there's nothing. That, it's too circumstantial to say, you know. I mean, Osweiler's, I mean, he's, he's looked well in the times that he's gotten out there. But, I mean, the times he's gotten out there are a lot different than saying a guy's look good and he's ready to be an NFL quarterback full time, you know. Well, sure, but, you know, we're also talking about a free agent quarterback class that is going to have an awful lot of talk about Brian Hoyer. (laughs) (laughs) When Brian Hoyer is your big-name free agent quarterback, everybody looks pretty awesome. They kind of have to, don't they? Yeah, yeah, I would think so. Brian Hoyer got benched for a guy that had a negative quarterback rating and still got another start afterwards. So, I mean, there's there's a – That's that's Johnny Effin. F in football. His last name is football. Oh, it's yeah. It's got to be good, right? Yeah. I mean, hey, I, I, you know what? I'm not against Manziel. Manziel very well could be good, but he wasn't. Apparently, he was not ready yet, you know, and Hoyer was well, not playing well, but he wasn't playing that bad. Well, you talk about Bradford playing out, his pro career playing out exactly like his college career. This is exactly what is happening with Manziel, except for without success. I mean, he in Texas A&M, he, he was – very widely known that he didn't really put in the homework. And now here he is having to admit it again when he finally got the call. What what we're going to find out from Manziel is he's going to have to decide that he wants to be good. Anytime anybody has ever said anything negative about Manziel, they talk about the bad side. But then the positive thing that you hear all the time is how competitive he is and how much he wants to win. And when he's in that zone – He's one of the best football players there was in college. But what you have to do is figure out a way for him to expand that zone to not just be on the football field. Well, I mean, he's certainly, you know, one big difference, you know, there's always questions about, about, you know, whether, what type of guy, what type of talent that he, that he actually is in Bradford, you know, where that gets asked about, you know, is he as good as it said that he is in general? Well, one thing for certain is that there's no question that Johnny Manziel is a, is a talent. He's talented. 
You know, yeah. he he's got what it takes. But I think that it's legitimately fair to say, you know, hey, is he going to be able to translate it into being a good professional quarterback? And in a sort of way, he's in the same type of situation as Marcus Mariota in a way. You know, I think Marcus Mariota is a very talented physical. Gifts are off the tools, off off the charts. I should say the tools are there. The, the, he's got the height. You know, everything's there. But you know, uh, how does it translate? And I think you got to be aware of translation difficulties when you're trying to give a guy that type of responsibility. And I think that that's one of the things that both Bradford and Manziel have showed because now you've got two teams that have talented units, but now they're in limbo because of that. Well, yeah, and with Mariota. <clears throat> The best thing that could happen to him in the world is an Aaron Rodgers situation where he gets drafted and he gets to sit for a little while because he is so behind the curve on running in a pro-style offense and everything uh, that is different from his Oregon-style offense. If he if he were to get to actually sit, I think he could be successful. He, he's had well, I mean, tools. There's that curse of being a first-round quarterback in today's NFL, though. They want you out there. You know, they want you playing. They want you ready to go right away, and it's just kind of like, yeah, well, I mean, if you that, say so. That's, but That's true, but who's the best quarterback in the NFL right now? No, I would, I would definitely say it's Aaron Rodgers. It, and, well, then, so why well, don't people look at that, though, and go, hey. Well, because then you got Andrew Luck sitting right there, you know, who's not too far behind that at this point, you know, saying, hey, that guy got it from day one. You know, I mean, there's a lot of guys who have picked up the ball and maybe evolved a little bit, but they've been, you know, good from the first time that they took snaps, you know. So, I mean, I I think it's got to be judged based a little bit on the situation you inherit as well, too. It has to be the individual, of course, you know. But, I mean, everybody knew when Andrew Luck came out that he was a, you know, once-in-a-decade quarterback. There was no oh, yeah. question of it when he came out. There was no question of it about the guy that went right behind him either. <laughs> and look at where that's at. Look at where that's at. He's gotten two coaches fired. No, one coach fired. I don't know what's going on out there. I don't even want to. Hey, let me ask you this while we're on that before I bring it bring it back into another point here. Who won that trade for real? Who won that trade for real? Is it really a question? You know, right now, where we're at today, we would say the Rams, right? Because RG3 just had a terrible year and we had, you know, we have short-term memory as as fans and and, and people in general. Uh, The NFL is, you know, they say not for long. What have you done for me lately? So, of course, RG3 had a terrible year. Everybody's down on him. So the easy answer is that the, the, the Rams easily won with the stack of players that they got. Um, that being said, what if RG3 becomes RG3 again? I like having all those players, um, from Michael Brockers to Janoris Jenkins to, um, to the different guys that they took, but, I mean, if RG3 all of a sudden puts it together and becomes – and the Rams becomes still the guy that they thought he would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Rams are still in quarterback limbo when they wouldn't necessarily have had to have been. It's a lot of ifs. I'm still. I think that it's still. I'm not. I'm not made a determination on exactly who I think won that trade. I think it was good for both teams in different ways, just like it was bad for both teams in different ways. 
well, you sure. know, but I think the Rams have done a great job of drafting the last few years. Um, I think this year will be a challenge for them draft-wise. I think that due to the fact of some of the things that they traded and then also due to the fact of the slot that they ended in by some of that, by the success they had midseason, that they put themselves in a little bit of a um, complicated place to be in now. But um, sure. you'll see. You know, they've got, they've got you know, five picks to get a lot of things done with, and it's going to be tough to see how it is that they sort that out. Well, sure, and you see how they already feel about this year's crop of draft players when they trade a, a four and a six uh, for Mark Barron right at the trade deadline. And that, that's not something Les Snead would have done at all in the last couple of years just because um, the Ram, when they came and took over the Rams, the roster was so depleted of talent that they needed every pick that they can get. So I think the trade for Mark Barron shows two things. It shows how they felt about their current roster and where they needed to improve, but additionally that they don't feel like this draft is very deep. And, uh, you know, and, 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 and like you, I'm kind of transitioning into the big picture draft right now. Um, the draft is thin in some areas, but then deep in others, as I've, as I've come to see so far, you know, throughout the year watching college football as well, too. You know, it's not sure. that great, huge, you know, exciting quarterback year. You know, but, you know, there's running backs this year. You know, there's finally running backs again that are available. There are, um, you know, there, there's a lot of receivers. Lord, if you need a receiver, this is the year to go and take a look at it. Um, you know, but the, there's a lot of good – there's okay tackles. There's a lot of right tackles, though, you know. And then there's – you know, there's, but there's, there's a plethora of great defensive linemen, which I think in a way works in the Rams' favor. Obviously, the Rams are not taking a defensive lineman in the first round. Sure. That just would be asinine as it gets. But it pushes people back. You know, because there are a lot of teams up there that need to get better on the pass rush. Teams, you know, like Atlanta that are in front of well, them sure. that need to get something. You know, D- Oakland perpetually needs to get better in some di- in some area. You, the same thing goes for Jacksonville. More rush, you know, getting a defense. is actually a better defense than it gets credit for being in Jacksonville to get better. You know, so I think the Rams sitting at 10, I don't think they need to move this year. I don't think moving back would be smart. But I think that for where they're at, they can find something at 10 that helps that team. Now the question is, what helps that team guarding itself against injury at some key places like tackle, like quarterback, or is it getting better in a place that they need still need to define themselves more in, like the like the offensive line interiorly, or adding even more firepower to its receiving corps. Very interesting position that they're in there, but I think that it's a spot where they can succeed and will look to succeed early due to the fact that they won't be as present in the back of the draft as they have been the last few years. Sure. I, I think this uh, number 10 pick and having the uh, huge amount of pass rushers, like you said, puts them in prime position, and it's going to be very unpopular in the city of St. Louis. Um, puts them in prime position for the possibly the top corner in the draft or interior linemen. Right around 10 is in the ballpark of where you usually see the top corner go off the board unless there's, a, you know, a, a corner that is universally agreed on as the next Deion Sanders, and then they usually go <laughs> a little higher. But yeah. um, We've been looking for Deion for a little while, huh? <laughs> <laughs> trying to find Yeah, him. no, well, I try well, not to think year, about year, Adam Carriker. You know, one year they were looking for Deion and they found Charles Woodson, so that wasn't that bad. Yeah. 
Not the Rams. I'm talking about the league. The league's well, been sure, yeah. for a little while. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you know, I, I would say I, I, I would say this. The cornerback situation is interesting because, you know, E.J. Gaines has a phenomenal year. You know, you've got LaMarcus Joyner that came along, and he was walked into his role a little bit. I expect to see more of him this year. I'm not sure if he's a corner or if he's a free safety, though, honestly. But um, but and you got Trumaine Johnson as well too. I mean, it's a team that could get by with what it has at corner. But I think that if you do do anything on defense in the first round, which would just be kind of adding to the riches that it's got already, yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be a um, it's got to be a cornerback. And I think that it would be a complicated selection as well too because. You know, the best cornerback in the draft was a guy that got thrown off his college team in the middle of the season, and um, Kevin Peters. So that would be interesting to see how that works out. I mean, unless one of the two quarterbacks falls to them, if if Mariota or Winston is on the board, they're going to go running. I, I would venture Mariotta, to say if one, whoever goes one, the other one goes two. I would, I would have a hard time arguing with you on that one. We we I just, we know I just, how crazy the NFL is for quarterbacks. Well, I well I say it because I think they're the two best talents available, and they're two teams that could use it. The, the Mike Glennon, Josh McNown situation in Tampa Bay is gross. You know, time to move well, yeah. that. Call it what you it don't was. think Zach Mettenberger is the answer? Come on, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's got to be right. Ben Roethlisberger, name. Come on, the right. mustache. Yeah, the selfies. Um, but, um, you know, I think that Marietta works well with what they've got in, in Tennessee. Maybe you still want to try to add a guy if they can't get Jay Cutler. If you can get Jay Cutler, get away from it. But, you know, if if you, if you if, if Marietta, they take Marietta there, I think Marietta and Mettenberger play off each other this year. It gets Mettenberger a little bit more time, and it gets Jake Locker out of town at least. So that's got to be a good thing. But then maybe the best player in the draft goes third to Jacksonville and Lorenzo Williams. So I mean, you know, there's there's no there's no telling how that works out though. So we'll, we'll, we'll it's early see. Yet. Yeah. yeah, it's very early, very early. So I mean, you know, I mean that's not even counting Amari Cooper being out there still, who's you know, to be that guy that gets taken as that early wide receiver in that same mold as like Sammy Watkins did a year ago, or you know, you see people jump up and take AJ Green early in that same type of way, but not I, I would love to be. see the Rams draft, figure out a way to get him, but uh, I, I don't see them investing in wide receiver again. Yeah, I don't know. You can trade up for another one right after that. Um, all in all, the, all things said about that, how do you I'll put you on the spot here a little bit? How do you foresee when it does come down to that moment and the season's upon you and you, you know, and then it's getting down to August, it's getting down to September approaching. How do you see yourself approaching this year um, with this club? As, as corny as it sounds, uh, like a fair, farewell year. Um, for the first two days after the LA thing, I tried to ignore everything about the Rams. And then I realized that the Rams are so ingrained into my life that that is nearly impossible to do. <laughs> so I imagine coming into the season, it'll be bittersweet. I hope that I am excited about the football aspect of the team, that there is, you know, reason for hope with, with all the talent. And I hope through free agency and, and the draft that they will improve the team. But you know, it'll, it'll be bittersweet because the beginning of football season is the favorite time of year for me. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I fully expect that any game I go to next year would have the potential to be the last 
pro football team uh, game in St. Louis. Hmm. The future of pro football in St. Louis is an interesting topic. It's not one we got enough time to talk about tonight. Maybe we can do that later. I know you know where I stand on it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it happens again. I don't think there's any way in hell St. Louis gets another team after that. But then again, you know, everybody the, is very uh, everybody's very uh, excited, every supportive of St. Louis as a tri-sport city. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. But that's, that's a very, very wide very wide subject to approach at one at this evening as well too. Um, I will say this: Where do you, how, if you have to, do you auction off your fanhood, or do you just wait for it to come back around generically and generally again one day? Sure. So you know, joking around all season before it was a reality that I, you know, when it was just the thing that the white elephant in the room, I would joke about my fandom and where I would go. And I even had a list of, you know, top three or four teams and had it whittled down pretty much. But then once it became a reality, you know, with the stadium announcement, I didn't really want to anymore. And I don't know what I'll do, you know, because, you know, part of the initial fandom, when you know, moving to L.A. would be like rejection, Right. So what Mm -hmm. is your immediate response to rejection? I don't want anything to do with that. Well, you become a 49ers fan or a Chargers fan or something that they have. You know, I I just, why would I, why would I pour my heart and soul into another team? You know, sure, that other team can't move on me because I won't be able to pick a team in my city. But, you know, part of me is just, I, I don't know. I'm going to have to see. I For a while, I thought I was going to just pick a new team and it'd just be that easy. I'm not so sure it will be. I might it just isn't. be a fan of the NFL. It isn't. I mean, and that's a distinct possibility as well, too. Picking a new team, I would argue, is harder than picking a new woman because you always know that you can come back around with that. You don't know if that relationship with that woman is going to be long-term or not. But, you know, when you pick a team – you're running with that team. That's your team. I always said before, the relationship you have with your team, in many cases, is the longest relationship of your life. They're there, they're there before your children, they're there before your wife, they're there after your parents. It's the relationship that runs the longest in your life. So it's maybe one of the ones that are the most sacred to you. So it's tough to, to change that over. You know, it's tough to make that jump back and forth. So I don't know. I, it will be a very interesting time around the city to see how that goes. But um, before I let you go, I know you've got things to get to as well tonight. I wanted to rapid fire you a little bit on a few other things we talked about um, sure. off there. How you feel about the Cardinals this year? I'm looking forward to it. I think uh, the addition of Hayward is, is, is huge. If he can, you know, a little change of scenery, get back a little bit back to where he was a few years ago, it would be, even better, the key to the the Hayward addition, I would hope, is that they lock lock him up long term. Uh, they gave up quite a lot for him, uh, but the one thing that Mosaic has been able to do is reload on these young arms. Every time I think one leaving is going to affect, another one comes up from the minor leagues and is ready to go. Yeah, yeah, there's that. I mean, they've got they've got more pitching talent than I think you know that anybody really realizes. Um, are you how it's over with now? Now that 
Scherzer Gate is done. I, I, I mean, <laughs> did you ever have any real expectation of them playing ball in that ballpark? Or is it, you know, the team just fine people without that? I, I never really bought it. Even when I was reading headlines that said, St. Louis and Scherzer, you know, close or this or that, you know, as you're going through through Twitter, I just, it is for them to sign Scherzer for the kind of money that he was talking about, looking for the 200 something million that he wanted, because at the time we didn't know what he actually got, was so anti Mosaic that I could just not buy in. I mean, we're talking about the man who let Albert Pujols walk for a similar amount of money. <laughs> Correct. Correct. I mean, I think that DeWitt, I think that Boris, number one, was right from the beginning when he said this is an ownership-level decision that's going to have to make that type of commitment, which is which is fair, which is absolutely correct, because nobody's going to just go out and spend, you know, this ain't Mark Reynolds, this ain't $2 million over a year. You know, the nice. Nationals are paying this guy until 2028. That's that's insane. I can't even, you know, I can't even, I don't even know what life will be like. But I don't even know how old I'll be in 2028. I'm sure I can figure it out, but God, it's far away from now. So, you know, yeah, I, I don't agree with that either. If you had to do it, and I know this might be sticking you in a little bit of a corner, is this team that the Cardinals have this year going to, A, replicate what last year's team did as far as wins go, and, B, is it going to be able to be a better team more consistently than last year's team? I feel like on paper it is a better team than it was last year. They they identified a few areas of need that they they tried to get by on last year. Last year there was no pop off the bench, and then when they bring in Mark Reynolds, sure he has a pretty high strikeout rate, but he also has a lot of power from the right side, which is something they didn't have for the last few years on the bench. So that gives them a weapon that is typically invaluable in a, in a playoff scenario um, is pop off the bench, uh, bringing in Hayward in right field really kind of improves right field as well. I know that we were doing uh, right field pretty much by committee last year. However, you know, the, the Hayward deal is huge and brings in a consistent veteran ball player. Yeah, I mean, I think, and you know, and, and, and Matt Carpenter put it well on Sunday when uh, he was in town for the winter warm-up and was doing his little media breakout. He said, you know, the power potential there is just, you know, it's crazy to think that he's still scratching the surface of his power potential. But it's true. I mean, this, he's 20 five years old, <laughs> and it just seems like he's been around a lot longer than that. But, you know, how often do you, are you able to, A, trade for a 25-year-old, you know, that's a gold glove, a multi-time gold glove winner, and a guy that's shown he has that 20 home run power and is still doing nothing but getting better, you know, and getting getting more mature in the game. I mean, it's very he's, he's a very exciting property, and there's a good chance that he is that bridge that wasn't there last year with the downturn in Alan Craig's production and then, you know, the growing pains with Grichik and, and, and Oscar Tavares as well, too, in right field. They just never got that regular offering from the guy that could hit in the middle type of the lineup. And I think that if Hayward can find that stroke again, he can potentially be the guy that they can put cleanup in that lineup, honestly. There's a lot of talk about him hitting first or second, but, you know, his skill package all says, you know, 
hey, I can hit the ball over the fence a lot if, you know, if he turns that corner. So it could be very interesting to see him in a situation where he's sandwiched in there with Holiday and um, and Peralta and Molina and whatnot and Matt Adams as well, too. I mean, how good of a lineup is it if he's hitting seventh and Matt Adams, you know, so very, very sure, interesting um, thing there. The lineup oh, yeah. is better this year, you know. Yeah, I think I think that's that's the one thing that we can say that all the question marks are are, are now at the rotation. And while Shelby Miller um, was a little bit more experienced than Carlos Martinez or uh, Gonzalez, he was still. It's not like we traded uh, Max Serger this off season, during the season oh. last year, you know? We, no, it's we also traded. not like they traded Michael Walker for him either, who I think exactly. you know, easily out, outshines him as far as in terms of potential. Yeah, I mean, the the what, my, you know, it's funny, the two pitchers that we're just talking about are the two of the pitchers that I've seen pitch the best performances in person that I've ever <laughs> sure. seen, one of which was uh, – Two seasons ago, the NLCS, where Waka went head-to-head with Kershaw and beat him, and it was one of the best games, pitched games that I've ever been to. And then Shelby Miller, I was actually at the almost perfect game where he let the first the, the leadoff hitter Charlie, get a hit, and then he got Charlie Blackman got a single, and then it was over. <laughs> 27 straight outs. And you know what's funny about that game is you're sitting there and you're watching it in the stadium – and you see one hit on the board, and you don't think about it. And then I think I even texted you in about the fifth inning. I was like, uh, has he got all these oh, guys out in a row? I remember <laughs> it. I remember it. It was the seventh inning, actually. It was like the top of the seventh. You know, like, hey, when's the last time he gave up a hit? And I was like, first inning. Wow. <laughs> and that was the first guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, yeah. Shelby, Shelby, I mean, you know, I don't, yeah, I, I don't hope that comment didn't sound like it's kicking a guy on the way out the door, but. You know, I just think that between Michael Walker and him, Walker's probably the guy that you, you 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 hold on to if you're making a decision to try to go grab an impact guy like they did with Hayward. And, you know, and another thing, and there was file this underneath comments that you wouldn't have ever expected to hear this time last year, Lance Lynn made that trade possible too because they could trade him knowing that they had a much more uh, solid and, and polished guy to support their rotation in Lance Lynn this year. Well, sure. Just one real quick thing. I just want to finish off and then I'll get to Lance Lynn is that I think with that trade, the improvement in right field was so much greater than the back steps in the rotation. But sure. then on to, Lance, sure. on to Lance Lynn, you know me, I am <laughs> not a Lynn guy. However, this past season, he really won me over because all I wanted from Lance Lynn is to pitch well in August in September. And until last year, he hadn't done that. He came out on fire every year, even earned an all-star bid one year. And then he, you know, he didn't, he'd fall off post all-star break. And so for me, it was like, yeah, when you're on, you're really good. But I see pouting and I see, you know, no success late in the season until this past year. And I don't know what happened, but I, I think they got a great deal with Lance Lynn with a three-year deal. It's a, a beneficial for him and the club, I think. I think that Lance Lynn is proof positive of why you got to give young guys a chance in the rotation, and eventually they'll either find out who they are or you'll find out they won't. You know, Lance got three years of starting, 
and then he got a chance to really turn the corner the whole way through in year in year three. I mean, he's been good. He's been really good for half two in two years of the season. But now, last year he actually had a better second half than he did first half, and that's what you want to see. And I think that you're know, rounding the whole picture up. You know, you don't know what's going to happen with Adam Wainwright until you see him out there. You know, he says he's healthy. He says he's back. He really painted a really admirable picture of what, what he went through in that last stage of that season that I'm going to actually be writing here in the early part of next week that he talked about last weekend. But, um, you know, he's uh, – you don't know what's there, but you do know what you've got with Lynn. With Waka is healthy, and he's, all indications are he's fine, that, you know, whatever happened with that shoulder is – has has turned the corner. You know what you you know you got a guy that just just got incredible talent there with that. And John Lackey is you know that's a really good third guy to have to build your rotation that be kind of be the axis of your rotation, the halfway point between that ace and then that question mark that you've got in the five guy. That's a real that's another really strong thing. Being able to put Lynn and Lackey back to, back to back means that you're going to get two guys that are going to go out there and battle back to back in your lineup. So in your rotation. So it would be interesting to see. I mean, obviously with any team, there's questions. But I think the Cardinals are usually in the top top three to four teams in baseball coming in. So it'll be all about holding that down and making sure it goes. But, you know, a lot of, long way to go with that. Long way to go with that. Nobody's yeah. even got to Jupiter yet. Last thing, man, before I let you go. Um, you, you, you started about it yesterday. Royal Rumble this Sunday. What, what's happening by ne- by next Monday? What what's, where Where's the WWE picture at. Well, you, you you crushed my hope yesterday at work when you hey, told me that, uh, don't, that uh, don't, Brock don't, Lesnar hey, was saying, under contract. I'm just saying. I'm just saying Brock's <laughs> under contract still. I'm, all I'm saying is that he is going to be on the roster still by WrestleMania. What, what, they don't sign what, what, guys what? and let them walk this early close to WrestleMania unless they quit what? like Punk did around this time last year. <laughs> what I think my ultimate um, thing with the Royal Rumble is um, what I think would be best for storyline and thing like that would be is if uh, John Cena beat Brock Lesnar and then authority comes in, beats crap out of John Cena, Seth Rollins turns in the money in the bank, pins him, done. And then they have a really juicy story for what we call wrestling season, Royal Rumble all the way through to WrestleMania, WrestleMania. and a pretty good match for WrestleMania. Well, but the problem with that is, though, that, you know, the guy that wins the Royal Rumble is the guy that goes to that championship shot at WrestleMania. So Seth does but that remember, now. anybody could come into the Royal Rumble at any point. In fact, two or three years ago when it was here, Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, and the announcer came running out. <laughs> <laughs> it, would be tough. it would be tough for me to see them telling a story where Cena gets demolished and then powers up. I mean, it would piss off too many people. I mean, remember last year, Batista won sent people up and they went crazy, you know, but, uh, so, all right, then, so that didn't say, I mean, I do like, that would be an interesting way to put it, but Brock to take a loss in any scenario would be, wow, it would be really interesting to see how that worked out. Me personally, I'd like to see Rollins cash in at WrestleMania after, at the peak of the, at the peak of the, the, the battle and then squawk Well, maybe that's it. how they beat Brock is Brock gets punked. <laughs> I think that I think if they did that, I would want to see Cena. I would want to see Brock win. Brock win on Sunday. Um, they've got another pay per view after this, but there won't be a championship match at that. Not that close to WrestleMania. So to see that happen, see Brock take it to take it to WrestleMania, and somehow Daniel Bryan wins. 
and then Rollins cashes in on him, and him and Brian go to war for a whole year. That would be beautiful for me. That that would be really good wrestling. I also. With that being said, I with that being said, I think Daniel Bryan wins the Royal Rumble. I, I was I was just getting ready to go there. I I don't see any way that Daniel Bryan doesn't win the Royal Rumble. How do you take a guy who's by far the fan favorite, right? At this point, yeah. Him and Cena are so far away from everybody. Him and Zeta, yeah. And he's he's been out. So how do you rejuvenate his storyline? Win the Royal Rumble, especially when he has to be the first entry, I believe. No, so you think he you think he goes number one too? I thought I'm a little behind, but I thought that that was one of the he has a match tonight. I think. Oh. To get in, and if he if he gets in, they're only going to give him the the number the one. Number entry, one. I think. Oh. I wow. could be completely wrong that's on this. That's cool. But... I hope that's uh, wow. That's cool if that's what happens. I'm with that man. <laughs> I've, I've got a dinner that Sunday, so hopefully, no spoilers. Everybody, please. I'm turning off Twitter and all of that. I'm going to get to the pay per view late, so nobody. And, tell and me like I said. About it. But I ha I, I watch wrestling with one eye, so I could be completely making Well the up. New Age Outlaws are gonna be on have a match at Royal Rumble, so there's that, <laughs> that. But well man, hey, I, I appreciate the time here tonight, man, getting into it. I wish you the absolute best of luck with what's gonna be a obviously a man, very much of a gut wrenching season, uh, fan wise. That's just a really tough thing to go go with. Uh but, you know, it it will Hey, what will what what shall be will be, you know. So. Exactly, it is what it is. Yeah, always will be. Well, hey man, appreciate you making it on for us tonight, man. We'll we'll do this again uh, soon, and we'll, we'll just do pure football. Hey, well, before I let you go though, man, we well, got uh, two weeks to go. Who wins the big game? Ooh, you know, if Seattle will it be good that magic, time? will it be good this time? Because last year we thought it was going to be a really good Super Bowl, and it was the biggest beating I've ever seen in my life. Well, you know, I thought it was going to be, you know, when you look at the two teams on paper, everything matches up and uh, really well. But I will tell you this, if Seattle comes out and plays like they did at the beginning of the national championship, they won't come back against Bill Belichick. No. <laughs> no. So no, that's the won't. only thing that gives me pause and makes me think New England's going to win is just how poorly Seattle played for the beginning of the, the NFC Championship. Now, part of me also thinks, the, you know, the the Bud Light, if it works, don't quit doing it. The the mojo that they got from the last four or five minutes of that game could carry them too. Very well, I very well could. I mean, it's going to be an interesting. Last year's Super Bowl just has me kind of apprehensive, I guess, about where this one goes, just because of the fact that, man, I really thought that would be good, but boy, it isn't. But you well, know. you know, in Super Bowl history, we have more crappy games than good ones. So that is true. That is true. I mean, there's there's no event that's built up with more put on a higher plat, platform than the Super Bowl. So there's always more of a chance for a, a bad one to work out. I, it's weird to talk about legacy with Tom Brady, but I think Tom Brady needs to win this Super Bowl. Not that it's going to make him any. I mean, he's done everything you can do, but he wins this Super Bowl. You know, he he equals Montana and wins, you know, and, and Bradshaw. And I thought that a week ago before all this stupid stuff about a football started happening. <laughs> and now I'm afraid that 
the fact that it's Thursday and we're still talking about deflated well, footballs and then stuff that he did do. He, this he might did, give an asterisk he, he, to him. He did shoot himself in the foot with that interview today, with that media session. That was pretty. You shouldn't compare things to ISIS. And hey, man, as long as heads aren't rolling off. <laughs> oh, boy. Ouch. Yeah, so <laughs> on that note. I mean, that's what he said. How do you say it's that? true. How, how do you, you say I, that? How do you uh, how do you do that? How do you do that? I, I just I was like I read it and just kind of I was like man I mean just my jaw kind of just uh, like, all right if you say I mean he so, wins a hole of the day award right he's the oh, a hole of the day oh god he's the, he's the, he's he's went out in front of the back for 2015 easily so far good lord <laughs> how do you do that man wow that's all right man uh, he'll go cry himself to sleep with a supermodel wife. Yeah, right. Yeah, I feel lot, really bad for him. A lot worse way. I don't feel bad for him at all. No, I, I was nobody. Sarcasm. No, there's nobody on earth that I would ever feel less bad for than Tom Brady. Nobody. <laughs> period. He's got the best life on earth. But that's the here or there, man. Hey, thanks for making it on tonight, Jack. Man, appreciate it. No problem, it, man. man. Thanks for having me. All right, brother. Have a good one. And that'll do it for us this week here on Live from the Cheap Seats. Um, Thanks again to Jack, always able to talk about anything and everything with him, be able to cross over into many different sporting verses as we possibly can. Um, so with that being said, this is National Gridiron Network. I'm your host, Matt Whitener. Um, be back this time next week for another episode of Live from the Cheap Seats. You never know who will show up at, 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 to join me here. And uh, you can catch me at the Sports Fan Journal. Catch me at I-70 Baseball. Be sure to go back and take a look at all of the Stuff that I did on my first assignment this weekend with the St. Louis Cardinals, bringing baseball season back finally in a, in a good way. But, um, yeah, we'll be back this time next week for another episode of Live from the Cheap Seats. Have a good night. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.